I knew, I knew the end of the story. I knew that we would get to chapter 14. The, the theme of the book of Hosea is redeeming love. And even though we've gone through the book of Hosea and we saw plenty of judgment, I knew that we would eventually get to chapter 14, that even though in the last few chapters we've been seeing God's unceasing love, chapter 14 basically kind of just finishes it off, and then it tells us about His love. And it's interesting because as we've been going through the book of Hosea, there has been plenty of hints of redemption. And it kind of it, it was kind of sprinkled and scattered throughout our time that we were kind of looking at it and going through it because every once in a while it would remind us that he is still on their side, but he was having to they were having to go through the judgment. And so even though we saw a lot of the the the, the judgment, um, again the people needed to hear that there was hope that there was this redemption that he was going to give to them, which told me as I was studying it that, that this judgment that he was bringing upon Israel was not forever. It was for a time. It was a discipline that he was sending them through. Uh, if you remember, and some of you guys don't, but if you remember, if you've ever read through Hosea, the beginning of Hosea is pretty crazy because here the Lord tells Hosea to go and take yourself a wife of harlotry, which means that he was going to go marry a prostitute and then have children with this prostitute. And yet the Lord said, because I'm going to show you the relationship between me and my people. And the prophet Hosea wrote this book with passion and conviction. And I say that because he actually lived out the book before he actually wrote it, or he was living it out as he wrote it. And so, again, he understood what God was saying because he dealt with that on a personal level with his wife and having to redeem her through all the ugliness. And so turn, if you will, to Hosea chapter 14, if you are not there yet. And I will read the whole chapter. There's only nine verses. And after our study, we will get back to some worship and we will have some communion at the end as well and make just an intimate time because, again, this whole chapter, just as I was sharing with you, it's, it's all about redeeming love. And it just, I told Thomas last week, it's like, I just feel like the Lord wants us to have communion after we're done. So that's what we're going to do this evening. And so chapter 14, verse 1 to the end of the chapter. O Israel... Return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord, says, uh, say to him, take away our all iniquity, revive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands, you are our God. For, you are, for, for in you the fatherless find mercy. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. I will, take, I will be like the dew in, uh, to Israel. 
He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread. His beauty shall be like the olive tree and his fragrant like Lebanon. Those who dwell under the, his shadow shall return. They shall be revived like grain <clears throat> they, and grow like the vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard and observed him. I am like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Father, we do pray that, Lord, as we're opening up your word, being able to read it, that you would help me through it, Lord, as we close this book. Help me, Lord God, in, in conveying the message that you've laid on my heart. We look forward to a time of just worship and, and communion with you, Lord God, to be intimate. Lord, even right now, Lord God, we're concerned and have on our heart um, our brothers and sisters and the, the, the families up in Wrightwood. We pray for them, Lord, that you would bring peace and protection. Uh, those who are in harm's way right now, a little far, farther west, that you would watch over them as well. Uh, through this time, be with those who are fighting this fire right now, that your hand would be upon them. And so we lift them up to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Let me read to you, before we get into our text, a quote from Charles Spurgeon that I found in one of the commentaries that I was reading, um, and I have been reading for the book of Hosea, which I thought was really fitting as I read this quote. I just thought, man, Lord, he, he, he nails it, the essence of, of what, I was, what I thought about concerning this last chapter. Again, sometimes you read something and, and they say it a whole lot better than you could ever say it. And there's times that you just want to steal it and pretend it's yours, but you know you'd be cheating. Even though sometimes I do and I don't tell you or give them the, uh, the, uh, what were the accolades. But this one's from Charles Spurgeon. And, uh, and again, he's an old English uh, preacher from back in the day. It says this, this is a wonderful chapter to be at the end of such a book. I have never, I had never expected such, from such a prickly shrub to gather so fair a flower, so sweet a fruit. But so it is. Where sin abounded, grace doth much more abound. No chapter in the Bible can be more rich in mercy than, the, than, than this last of Hosea. And yet no chapter in the Bible might, in the nature, order of things, have been more terrible in judgment. Where we look for the darkness of, for the blackness of darkness, behold the noontide of light. It, it, it would have been so appropriate if we got to chapter 14 and God would have just told the children of Israel, because of all their sin and the judgment that was coming, I'm totally done. 
And now it's not just my discipline, but it's my wrath. And my wrath would be poured out on you so much that you will never, ever recover. We would have said, amen. It because because he, he is that strict and he, he was you know, punishing them in, in that sense or bringing judgment in that sense that if that ch- this chapter would have just finished off saying, and the end is your destruction totally, forever, no second chances, it would have been very appropriate. And yet when I knew that I would be getting to this chapter again, looking at this and just kind of almost crying over this going, oh my gosh, Lord, why are you so good? Why would you do this? Why would you allow these people to go through all that they went through for all these years? And, and, and again, his word is true and judgment was coming, but yet he still reminds them at the end, he sprinkled it throughout the book, hey, there's redemption, there's redemption. And, and, and you get to the end and he says, this is what I'm going to do. But there's a, there's a prerequisite that comes with this because he's been telling them all along to repent. And they could have continued in their way and not repented. And they will go to, to judgment. But there was some. In, in this book, this remnant, if you will, that God would hold on to because he always has a remnant. And so he begins this chapter by saying, O Israel, return to the Lord. You have stumbled because of your iniquity. And so the prophet, he, he, he will end this chapter in a positive note with an exhortation to repent, to, to return, to turn from the way that you are going. Again, we need to understand they will go into captivity. He's been preaching and sharing for almost 40 years, and now they're at the end, but he gives them hope at the end that even though you will have to go through the woodshed, even though you will leave your country, even though many of you will never come back to this place, yet he will give them hope. And so he finishes in that, in that, that positive note of, of exhorting them to repent. And I think oftentimes we think that word repentance is a dirty word. And it's not. It's such an amazing word. It is such a word that just could, again, it's harsh in one sense, but it gives us the opportunity because he says, repent. Instead of saying, I'm done, no room for repentance. He gives them time to repent. And still, even though they're leaving and, and, and the armies will come against them soon and they will be decimated in that sense, there will be still that time where some of them will turn back. Now understand, some from the northern kingdom, when the Assyrian army comes, they will head south and go into Judea. Some of them will be taken away, but those who have been out there, some of them will return. And, And we end up having Samaria because of some of these people who returned, because they became half breeds in that sense, but they returned and, and, and we have Samaria because of them. Now, even though this, in this final appeal, again, some would be stubborn to reject it as a nation, there, there would be this arrogance still in, in that they are, again, on the verge of being overthrown, taken into captivity, it will still in, 
it will still instill in them, <laughs> in their hearts, a, a, a measure of hope. And I think that's what God does. He always gives us hope. I don't care what, what state you're in. I don't care what, what, what you've gone through. There will always be hope that he throws out there. And again, we could be stubborn and, and, and walk away from that hope and think that, you know what, I can do this on my own. Forget it, God. I don't want any of who you are or what you want. And yet there's always that hope that if you turn, if you repent, if there's a righteous, judge, uh, a righteous repentance that happens, he will, re he will provide a place of refuge. He will provide a place of coming back to him. And so for those who, 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 who left and had that hope, they would always have this, this thing in their mind and in their hearts that in the future they might be able to return, not just to their land, but to the Lord. Again, even though the people turned away from, from God, God never abandoned them. He chastened them, but he never abandoned them. Even when it looked like he turned his back on them, he never walked away from them, even though they walked away from him. Because God is always true to his promises. He's always true to his covenants. Second, Second Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithful, or if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. And I don't know about you, <laughs> but I'm so glad God is who he is. Again, there's an awe and there's a fear. There's a trembling. But I, I'm so glad that he sticks to who he is, that he does not change. That even when I am not faithful, he remains faithful. And even if I walk away from him, he doesn't walk away from me. And I love the fact that because he always tells us to repent, that if I turned around, he's right here. I don't have to like start at square one. I don't have to like go all the way back. I don't have to do all these things to be in his good graces. If I turn around, I'm right there where I'm supposed to be. Why? Because he's right there meeting me and meeting us. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. God pleaded with his people time and time again to return to him and forsake their sin because it would cause their downfall, and now that is where they're at. Again, sprinkled throughout the book of Hosea, sprinkled throughout the book of Hosea, he reminded them time and time again that they, they should turn because there was something coming. And again, there would be a time that he drew this line. He says, once you pass that line, there's no turning back. As individuals, he gave them hope, but as a, a country, they would eventually be taken away. He had already told them to plow out up that, that hard, fallow ground and seek the Lord. He tells them a, a couple chapters ago again to turn to God for mercy because God is a God of mercy. But now he talks to them like his children, once again. 
Not that they weren't never his children, but he talks to them like little children. And he tells them what they needed to do. And the Lord gives them the promise to encourage them to repent. And so he says, O Israel, return to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. I don't know about you, but I think it's a lot easier to blame Satan for everything that happens to us. <laughs> Be because I think it's, it's so easy to, to play it off like it's his fault. Now, we can do that because he's so strong. And he's been around for a long time. And he's been doing this for a long time. That it's the devil that made me do it, right? It's so easy to blame the world because of all that it has to offer. And it's constantly calling your name because it knows your name. and knows our name. And there's always this pull. It's almost like these tentacles that want to just pull you back because, again, you were there at one time and you're fighting against it. And man, oh man, you let down your guard and you're right there once again. And so it's so easy to say it's a world. If it's not Satan, it's the world. And you see, as Christians, we have three enemies that we'll always battle with. Every single day of our lives, we will battle. And this battle is constant, and these, this, these enemies are constant, and they are Satan, the world, and the flesh. And Satan might be the, the strongest, and the world may be the biggest, but your flesh and my flesh is the most dangerous. We can blame our stumbling on Satan. We can blame our stumbling on the world, but they have nothing on you unless you give them that consent. <laughs> they, they, they can throw every arrow at you, but until you allow yourself... The, the, the opportunity to listen to the voice or to go through, towards the desires that you know are worldly, it's you. It's most of the time, I, and I tell people all the time, I know that Satan's always out to get us. I know that, but I don't give him that much credit. I really don't. I don't spend my time in prayer battling Satan. I have way better things to do like worship God in my prayer time. And if, and if Satan needs to be put in his place, Lord, you know what's going on, answer the door. Because I ain't got time to answer the door because I want to worship. I want my mind to be here. And, but it's so easy to, to have these battles and say, man, the sa Satan's really attacking me. It's like, really? It wasn't you staying up late last night that you couldn't make it a Sunday morning? It, it wasn't all these other things that you allowed to, to distract you that you couldn't do what you were supposed to do. Again, I know the enemy is a punk. I know that. I know the world is, is oftentimes just pulling at us. But I could guarantee you the times that I'm succumbing more and more to the enemies, which is Satan, the world, or my flesh, I could, I could, I, I could bet you my mind has not been here <laughs> constantly. And even when it is here, <laughs> there's still that battle. But, but when I'm weaker in my faith, 
man, these enemies, man, especially my faith, my flesh, man, it gets the best of me. But I love what's going on here because again, we 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 could we could blame Satan and we can blame the world, and 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 they are constant, and our flesh is constant as well. But I love what the prophet Hosea says here. He puts the blame right on you and I, right on them. For you have stumbled because of you, because of your iniquity. It's easy to, to throw, toss the blame, but it's you and I. It was Israel that allowed themselves to be in that place. And he says in verse 2, take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Revive us generously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. In returning to the Lord, the prophet is encouraging Israel that they must come on God's terms, not their own terms. Again, I don't know about you, but we like to wheel and deal with God. And it's like, I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. We come on His terms. We, 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 we come to Him saying, here I am, Lord, I, I've totally messed up. But if you do this, if you show yourself this way or that way, then I'm going to be a good boy for you. And it's like, no, we can't do that. We, we come to Him on His terms. And, and, and so basically... God says, when you return to me, take words with you. I want you to return to me not with silent feelings in your heart, but with the proper words of repentance as well, so that you can trust in me. Again, you've heard the sayings, you know, share all the time and when necessary, use words. And I get that that we should always be a witness, a silent witness. It's like, no, people need to hear <laughs> the Word of God. Yes, we are to be a witness whether people talk to us or not. They should know there's something different about that cat because of the way he walks, the way he talks, the way he does his life. But we need to use words. And this is important because he says, take words with you when you repent. Offer the words of thanksgiving, of repentance, of, of being remorseful. God had every reason to reject these people right now. But He chose to offer them forgiveness instead. But true repentance will always involve the acknowledgement of sin from our lips. I think it's in Romans 10 where it says that if we confess with our mouth, and believe in our hearts. But there has to be that confession that, that takes place. If we acknowledge our sin and say to him, take away all iniquity, forgive all my sins, that we would acknowledge that. Instead of bringing sacrifices, they needed to bring sincere words of repentance. And asking God, for gracious forgiveness in their lives. The desire to praise the Lord 
that, that, that we would offer the lips or the fruit of our lips to him because that is the way we can worship. I know that there are times that we just want to be quiet before him and not say a word and we're worshiping and, and I love the fact that he knows our thoughts, he knows our hearts. But just like you would want to hear your child's voice, I believe God wants to hear our voice. And I love the fact that he recognizes our voice. He knows your voice. He knows your name, but he knows your voice too. And so he wants to hear from our, from our mouth because he is the Lord. He is the Savior. He is our helper in, in time of need. Proverbs, or not Proverbs, but Psalms 51, 16 to 17 it says, for you do not desire sacrifices, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh Lord, you will not despise. That we would spend that time in, in our worship, offering ourselves as living sacrifices holy and acceptable unto him he says the sacrifices of our lips that word sacrifices here in this verse can also be translated bull calves or fruit in other words the things that we have created or brought forth they were worthless these sacrifices that these 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 calves that we had built they were worthless. The, these the fruits of our labor they're worthless unless we acknowledge that you're the one that did this in our lives, and so they were of no value. And and they continue to say in verse three, and again the prophet is speaking for these people, saying, "O Israel, this is what you ought to say, and this is what you ought to do. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses." nor will we say any more to the works of our hands, you are our God. That is all that they had been doing. That's what we've been studying in the book of Hosea. And again, they had been prostituting themselves out there, and yet God's going, just return to me. And I love the fact that Hosea is such a good example to us in the Word of God, where, where again, God says, hey, marry a prostitute, and when she goes astray, you're going to continue to provide for her. And there came a time when, when, when the Lord says, okay, cut her off. And, and he does that. And yet when, we, when you get to chapter 3, it's this love chapter that's just stinking amazing, man, that, that he just goes and lavishes her and, and, and just kind of brings her back in. And again, that in the first three chapters, we see the whole book, basically, because chapter 3 and chapter 14 are kind of similar. Because now he's saying, man... Get, get rid of all those idols. Don't say these things no more. Don't go that way anymore. Don't do those things anymore. He says at the end here, he says, for, for you, for in you, the fatherless find mercy. I, I, I thought it was amazing that, that the prophet is telling these people what to, what to say and what to do, where, where it says, take away our iniquity, receive us, graciously and so the prophet says ask for 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 graciousness receive graciousness cheerfulness with favor like lord we'll take that and instead the lord gives them mercy love and compassion on top of that because that's who he is right 
Instead of casting them out, he receives them graciously, and then he says, but let me show you mercy as well. You're not going to get what you deserve. In verse 4 to 7, it says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. I will be the dew to Israel. Three times in these two verses, one and a half verses basically, you hear the Lord say, I will. I, I will take the initiative. I will take the first step. It, when you repent, again, I will be right there as you repent, and then I will heal your backsliding. I will love you or love them freely, for my anger has been turned away from him. And I will be like the dew of Israel, a refreshment. God knew, and, and, and we have seen this back in chapter 11, God knew that Israel was bent on backsliding. That's kind of the way they were bent. They wanted to go that way, and believe it or not, we're all bent to go do our own thing. We're all bent to do that. We just need to channel that bent towards God and change the things that we used to do. And say, Lord, I want to be bent towards you because I automatically want to default to my flesh. But he knew that Israel was bent that way. And if he knew that before he chose them, why would he choose them? Because any nation or people he would have chose would have been bent on backsliding. But Israel was his chosen people. And he knew that they were bent on backsliding. But he promised to heal their backsliding. To heal this repentant, uh, to, to heal the, this, this nation that was always going astray, but when they were repentant, he wanted to heal them. He does this not because they deserved it, because they didn't. He does this because his nature is to love them freely. That's who he is. What we see here as we see him saying, I will, I will, I will. I will heal, I will love. I will be that do. We, we, we see this compassionate God that says, I will heal them. I will heal their backsliding. In essence, this shows that God looked at their backsliding not so much as a crime as it was a disease. He doesn't say, I will pardon their backsliding. He says, I will heal them. It, 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 here's another quote that, that I got from one of the commentaries. It's as though, he says, that, he, that God would say, my poor people, I do remember that they are butt dust. It's <laughs> one T. Um, I remember that they are butt dust. 
<laughs> I don't know if it's funny for you. It's always funny for me. It's always hilarious for me and you especially, right? Anyways, I do remember that they are but dust. They are liable to a thousand temptations through the fall. And they go, they soon go astray. But I will not treat them as though they were rebels. I will look upon them as patients. And they shall look upon me as a physician. And I wonder if that's why Jesus called himself the great physician. Oh, he knew our proclivities. He, he, he knew the way that we are bent. He knew all of those things. And he doesn't treat us like criminals. He, treat us as, he treats us as those who are sick and need someone to make them well. And, and so here, the prophet is saying that God will say, I will heal their backsliding, not, not so much pardon their backsliding, but I will heal them. I, I was looking for the verse, and I found it, and I'm going to read it to you in different versions. And it comes from Exodus 30, 32, verse 22. And that whole scenario is right after Moses has come down, and they're worshiping the golden calves. And Aaron is talking to, to Moses in, in, in Exodus 32, 22. And I'll read it from the, the, the New King James which I study out of and, and teach out of, it says, So Aaron said, Do not let your anger, do not let the anger of my Lord be hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. That's Aaron telling Moses. In the old King James, Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. The NIV puts it like this. Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. <laughs> In other words, you know the people. They are prone to sin. That was one of those things that growing up, that, that as my kids were growing up, me and my wife would look at each other just like, you know they're prone to sin, right? That, that's just what they want to do. You don't, you, we don't have to teach them to. They are bent that way. We need the rod to come and correct that bent. <laughs> and, 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 and so the people are prone to sin, Aaron tells Moses. That's who these people are, and God had no obligation to forgive them, but to, to wipe them out. But yet he didn't, even through the, the wilderness, through, through all of that, we get to this point, and God still understands that the people are prone to sin. And, and so we see the compassionate heart of God, and, and we see the consistency or the, 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 the certainty of God here. Where he says, I will. I will heal their backsliding. Not I, I might. Not I could. Not I will try to heal them. But I will heal them. There's a certainty with God. If they come to God for healing of their backsliding, He will do it. Because God is too great of a physician to allow his patients to leave his office unhealed, 
if they're asking for a healing of their backsliding. And so the Lord speaks to his people and he addresses them personally even when he says, I will heal their backsliding. Not everyone's, but theirs I will. When they come to me, I will. I will do that. These people had to kind of count themselves among the backsliders to understand that they had been in that position. A couple of weeks ago when we were talking about backsliding, we were talking about how it doesn't happen all of a sudden. It almost seems like this drifting and drifting and drifting because we've allowed our flesh and, and, and the world and, the, and Satan to, to, to just kind of take control and we, we've let down our guard and then we look back, it's like, how did we get in this backslidden state? And I think oftentimes we battle that on a daily basis because we're not where we want to be and it almost feels like we've backslidden in some ways. And yet, that's why God wants us to repent continually, constantly, consistently because he's personal with us and he stays close to us and says, I will heal your backsliding. When you think you've sinned or when you know you've sinned, repent, I will heal that. If we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all, not some, but all unrighteousness. And, 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 and as you walk with the Lord day in and day out, if you're like me, you're going to go, Lord, why are you still forgiving me? Why aren't you just done with me? But he continues to forgive when we turn to him. Why? Because we have an advocate with the Father, the righteous. And I love that, that portion of Scripture where, where, where he says, my little children, I write these things that when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Not when you feel bad, then you have an advocate. It's like, no, when you sin, you have an advocate. He's already fighting your case. He's standing before the Father already going, yeah, he's mine. I love him. For some reason, I love him. Satan's the accuser of the brother. He's like, man, you see what Zeke did again? And, and Jesus not like in the, in, the, in the hallway like a nervous lawyer. Come on, Zeke, repent, repent, pa, so I can go in there and fight for you. He's already going, no, he's already mine whether I repented or not, in that sense. And so we have someone who is personal with us, and he loves us. And the Lord says, I will, three times. I will forgive them. My anger will be turned from them. His judgment had to come, but it wasn't going to be forever. And so this speaks of his redeeming love. And it's interesting because when you look at verse 5 through verse 7, he uses words like he, his, three times, those, they, their. Speaking about the people, about the nation, when they return to him, he says, I will do this, he will be this, his, blah, 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 those, they, their. And, and, and look at the, the progression kind of, of what happens here when he starts talking. He says, he, says, he shall grow like the lily, the strength, of, of, uh, the strength and, and strengthen his root like Lebanon. His branches shall spread. His beauty shall be like the olive tree. His fragrance like the Lebanon, like Lebanon. 
Those who dwell under the shadow shall return, and he shall revive, shall be revived like grain, grow like the vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. There's growth in restoration here as we're looking at the, these things that I just wrote down. Growth in restora- is restoration. He shall grow. Beauty is restored. Our growth is restored. Beauty is restored where it says, He shall grow like a lily. Strength is restored. Strength uh, uh, lengthened his roots like Lebanon. Value is restored. His beauty shall be like the olive tree. Delight is restored. His fragrance like Lebanon. Abundance is restored where he talks about the revival, or revived like grain. He will grow like vines. And his scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. And so God restores Israel. They will be blessed when it talks about how they will be scattered. They will be blessed, but not just for themselves, but for everyone else. In verses 8 and 9, as we finish up here, it says, Ephraim shall say, what have, what have I to do any more with idols? They, I have heard and observed him. I am like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. When, when God's people are healed from their backsliding, all of a sudden their focus is on the Lord and on himself, on, 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 on him alone. And the idols, they realized, man, they meant nothing. They did nothing for me. Your fruit is found in me, God says to them. At one time, Israel thought that they might find fruit in themselves and in other people, other nations, and in their idols. But now, healed of their backsliding, they find their fruit only in God. And in verse 9, it says, who is wise? Let, let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. The wise man, as he reads and hears this message, either back then, even, even today, as they hear the message of the book of Hosea, they will understand that God's mercy is new every morning. You cannot run out of God's mercy. And if you think that you did throughout that day, it will be brand new again tomorrow. God offers a wonderful opportunity with a wonderful word called repentance. And then there's restoration. I think it's dangerous and foolish to neglect that invitation for them as well for us. For the ways of the Lord, he says, are right. Even in the midst of a promised judgment, the wise and understanding man sees that the ways of the Lord are right and they are always right. And that ever-pronouncement of judgment 
in this book that we have seen that there was judgment was an invitation for repentance. And I think when we find ourselves in a bad place, God offers repentance all the time. And what a great opportunity. Because I, I think that we experience redeeming love when we know how bad we've gotten and, and, and his judgments that have come upon us. And when he redeems us, it's so sweet. Not that we would sin more that grace may abound, <laughs> But when you do find yourself in that place, that you turn and you, you understand the sweetness of what redemption feels like and looks like because of the judgment and the discipline that you've had to go through. In, 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 in beauty of expressing these final words of Hosea, they, they, they rank up there with, with a very memorable chapter of going, man, oh man, Lord. If you've read through Hosea and you get to this last chapter and you're going, goodness, why are you so good, Lord? That, that, that again, it just kind of gives you the hope that you've never gone too far, just like the prodigal. Go do whatever you want. But the Father's always looking and He's always waiting for you to come to your senses. <laughs> And to turn. And instead of you coming all the way up here, he goes and runs and meets up with you. That's how beautiful this looks. This restoration. Here we see the fullness of who God is. His unfailing love to this faithless people. The triumph of his grace, the abundance of his healings, all described in this imagery of God's heart towards his people. Redeem, redeeming love produces beauty and fragrance where there was once ugliness, emptiness. You see, the fallow ground that we learned about a few weeks ago has become a beautiful garden. And these, closes ver these closing verses here presents to us two alternatives. The rebel against, if you rebel against the Lord, and, and, and you will continue to stumble. But if you return to the Lord, you will walk securely in his ways. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, as we finish. Moses speaking to the people. Right at the end of his life, I have set before you life and death. Blessings and cursings. Therefore, choose life. I encourage you, choose life. <laughs> Repent. We're going to have an amazing time of just sitting before the Lord. We're going to worship. We're going to pass out the elements. And when we pass out the bread, hold on to the bread. And, and we're just going to pray. And I'm not the only one that's going to pray. I will call on one of you guys to, to open up in prayer. And we're just going to pray for the cup or pray for the bread. We're not going to pray for anti-so-and-so. We're not going to pray for any situation except we're going to focus on the goodness of who he is and what he did on the cross. And then when I think we're done praying for the cup, we're going to, to partake. And then we'll pass out the, the cup or bread cup. And, and then we're going to pray. We're going to spend some time in prayer just for the cup and, and what it means to you. 
And again, if you feel like praying, you pray. If you don't, you don't have to. But we're just going to open it up and spend some time praying. And then when I think it's time, we'll, we'll close up, but we will continue to worship. Father in heaven, we bless you and thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for this book, Lord. Thank you for speaking to my heart throughout this whole book and allowing me the privilege, Lord, to stand before my brothers and sisters, to read your word, to expound on what I believe you were speaking to me. And Father, I pray that you have challenged us through this hard book. But even through it all, Lord, you reminded us of your redeeming love, Lord. Even through the discipline that we have to go through. You love us that much, Lord. And so we honor you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mike? In a 